0: How are we doing out there? Why don't, you, why don't you turn to your neighbor? I mean, it's Christmas time, right? So turn to your neighbor, look deep and down in their eyes, and from your heart, give them just a good old Merry Christmas. All right, let's hear it. I mean, you know, heartfelt Merry Christmas. All right? That's great. Because we are in this Christmas series, and it is uh, called The Story. Um we, we take different characters of the store and we've been preaching sermons on them so we did Mary, Joseph and actually this Sunday we're gonna be talking about baby Jesus in a manger which when I first was told that I'm gonna preach on this uh, where do you go with baby Jesus? I mean like the whole Bible is about baby Jesus <laughs> from the beginning to the end uh, so this is gonna be a long sermon I don't, get, don't sweat too hard I won't, I won't go too, too long here but uh, get comfortable is everybody comfortable? Anybody need anything out there? Anybody need a bottle of water or something? We all good? All right, strap in, here we go. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse 4. All right, it's Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 4. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. All right, so here's what we're going to try to accomplish this morning. We're going to try to accomplish who is this baby. What is the identity of Jesus? And I know we're all Christians here, or like, well, at least most of us, because we're at church and we love God. And so we're like, well, it's kind of easy question, Keith. This baby is Jesus. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the son of God. But I want us to seriously ask this question and not just give the Sunday school answer. Who is Jesus? Really, who is the identity of this Jesus? We, we hear a lot of things about this question. And the reason we do, it's because this is the most critical question to ask in all of history. Because of this question, who is the baby in the manger, we've had large people groups just separate Look at Jews and Christianity. That question was the dividing uh, force that pushed us apart. Answering this question, who is the baby in the manger? Who was was this Jesus, son of God? Uh, Most religious groups became their own religious group in a way forming around this question of who they thought Jesus was. So it's, it's actually not a real, it's not an easy stop and go, ask a question, give a Sunday school answer kind of question. It's a question that actually has a lot of weight to it. And, and as Bible believers, as biblical believers, you know, we say, well, this is the son of God. This is uh, Jesus, is a, a God's son that he sent down to earth. And, you know, and of course, you know, we would say that's true. But what we want to accomplish this morning is saying, but Jesus, the son of God. Who exactly is he to us? And I think sometimes we pass over that question a little too fast. We don't really think about all the implications of who Jesus is and what his identity really is. So I think a good way of starting is to actually hear from Jesus himself to why he came to earth. Because the secret to finding his identity is finding his purpose for coming. When we understand why he came, then we can understand who he is. So let's, uh, I'm gonna be going through this pretty fast. There's, again, this is, this is gonna be a hard sermon to slow down, so I'm gonna go through pretty fast. If I talk too fast? Just wave your hand like this. That means um, I'm talking too fast. My words are all being slurred together. I have that issue. So wave at me if I'm going too fast here, but I'm gonna go through scriptures pretty fast. You can jot them down. Uh, you, have note, you have a note paper, you can jot them down if you want to look them up later. Or if you're really fast, you can just fly and just be catching all these scriptures with me. So I don't know who the fast fingers are out there, but here we go. So we're going to hear from Jesus himself, why he came to earth. First, we're going to John chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus is speaking, and, he's, and he says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So first thing we understand about Jesus and his mission to coming to earth is he was sent by his father and he actually viewed him coming as a mission. Like Jesus looked at why he came as a mission, something to accomplish. And he goes on to elaborate about that mission in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Now this is actually a passage that with the youth group we've been talking apart and we've been kind of ripping apart to see what Jesus actually meant by this. But in Matthew chapter 5 Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappears, not the smallest letter, nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So from this we can gather that Jesus perceived his mission as he was sent by the Father to do the Father's will to fulfill everything that was promised and anticipated in the Old Testament. Now there's a little bit of a problem here because in order to understand the identity of Jesus, we need to connect him to the Old Testament, since that's what he's proclaiming. He says, I'm coming to fulfill everything that was anticipated and promised in the Old Testament. So he's coming as, as as this fulfillment, but so we have to somehow figure out what's this bridge to Jesus and the Old Testament? What is he fulfilling? What is how is he connected to the Old Testament? And our problem is that we don't, we don't, I don't think a lot of us really understand the Old Testament because it's not necessarily the, the most popular thing to read. Um, I think being the Christians we are today, and we love application, and we love to, you know, stuff that applies, we tend to go to the, the New Testament and grab all these New Testament verses, and that's what our Bible studies are on, New Testament stuff, and that's where a lot of our reading comes from. I'm not saying this way everyone does, but it tends to be the tendency among um, evangelical Christians is to go to the New Testament a lot. Um, and the New Testament obviously is great and inspired and I love it, but often in the process we miss the Old Testament and so it's kind of hard for me to preach a sermon about who Jesus is unless we somehow have a little bit of understanding of the Old Testament because without the Old Testament Jesus doesn't make any sense and and so my challenge as a side note here is is read the Old Testament as Christians, you need to know what the Old Testament says because that is our foundation of who Jesus is so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump off here, I'm going to jump on the Old Testament here, I'm going to try to make some assumptions that you, you at least know something about the Old Testament. But what we're going to be talking about is in the Old Testament there are three different offices that take place foreshadowing the coming of Christ. So there's three different offices. Just out of curiosity, does anybody know any of those three offices? Yell them out if you know them. Prophet, prophets one, priests would be two, the third, the third one. King. Excellent. Hey, great. Somebody's been studying the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, there's three offices that foreshadow the coming of Christ. So in order to find Jesus' identity and why he came to earth, we have to go to those three offices and see how he fulfills those offices. So these offices would be the prophet who would speak the truth for God, the priest who would serve God, and then the king who would rule for God. And Jesus came to fulfill all these offices slash ministries. So, we're going to be looking at the ministry of Jesus in light of these three offices to understand why he came to earth, his identity. So, let's start with prophet, okay? Now, when I say the word prophet, what do you think of? Let me shout this out to you. What, what do you think of when I say the word prophet? What was that? Elijah. What other prophets do we have? Yeah, yeah. Okay, what, what, about, what about these guys made him a prophet? Like, if I would tell you, I'd say, all right, uh, this is my friend Bob, because Bob's always my invisible guy up here with me. Um, you know, he kind of has a prophet personality. What are you thinking of when I say prophet personality? I mean, this, is, this guy is going to be the bold, right? He's going to be the guy who calls it like it is. I mean, you know these people. I'm not a prophet, but you know these people with the prophet personality, right? I mean, they're like, they're the ones walking to me and saying, that's sin, you've got to quit that. And, and let's face it, sometimes it's just annoying. These people with these prophet personalities that walk around and they're like, this is sin, that's, you can't be doing that. So for a prophet, his main concern is he wants clarity. And, and our, 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 our request to the prophet is always like, use some tact. Be a little bit more tactful with the way you say stuff. But that's not the prophet's personality. The prophet is, he says it like it is. I mean, you look at these prophets in the Old Testament, and by the way, we need prophets. I'm not, if you're a prophet in there, God bless you. You will not be liked very often, but God bless you for what you do because we need you. There's a reason God may give you a prophet personality. We need you telling what truth is and, and boldly coming forward with the, with the things to say. Um, most of us are pretty non-confrontational don't like the, this whole confrontation and uh, telling people like it is. We'd rather just let them do whatever they want to do. Um, but Jesus, uh, well, in the Old Testament, we have these prophets who God would give words to, and then they would speak to the people, and they would say stuff like, "Thus saith the Lord," and you know, and the people would listen to as God gave messages through these prophets. And Jesus himself said, "A prophet is not honored in his hometown because of this." Uh, like Jonah was a prophet. Uh, remember what his message was? He was sent to Nineveh to talk to the people and basically walk up to these. Pretty horrible, buff people, and say, "Hey, uh, you all are sinning, and God's going to destroy you." (laughs) I mean, you can understand why He wanted to go down the ship route, you know, for the farthest from the universe possible, because that's not necessarily something that's necessarily fun to say. I mean, how would you if God would give you the message and say, Merle, I want you to go to what's what's the worst place around here?" I don't know. Maybe don't say it out loud because then people might be from there. But go to the worst place in Ohio go to downtown Columbus, you know, to the streets, and once you stand on a soapbox and gather everyone and say, you're sinning, and if you don't turn from your sin, God's going to destroy you. I mean, it, it, you, you probably get shot. I mean, it's, it's something that you probably don't want to do, but that's what, that's what the prophet's job was. So in Deuteronomy chapter 18, the prophet Moses prophesies about God sending this prophet who will come in God's name, and he was talking about Jesus. The ultimate prophet. And then in Acts, Peter reminds the people of this prophecy by Moses about this Messiah prophet, which he knew was Jesus by now. Um, I'm going to actually read that real quick. Acts chapter 3. It says heaven must receive him must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophet. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. So, through these prophecies, we understand that when Jesus came, he came to be the ultimate prophet. All the prophets in the Old Testament that we named off were all foreshadowing this Jesus, this Messiah who would come and one day be the truth-speaking prophet. That he would speak truth and bring conviction and, and cry for repentance, just like all the other prophets did. When Jesus came, he would say, he said things like this, but I tell you. Now remember, the other prophets used to say, thus saith the Lord. You know, then they'd give their prophecies. But when Jesus came, his prophecies, he started a little differently. He would say, but I tell you. Showing that he wasn't just the fulfillment of being the prophet, he was also God himself. And so the truth and authority that was given to the prophet is he was actually giving himself as God. And that's why he would say, but I tell you. In fact, in the Gospel of John alone, over 50 times, Jesus is saying, but I tell you the truth. Fulfilling that he was the prophet to come, but not only the prophet, but he was also God himself. In uh, John 1, 1, we, we hear that, you know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus came as the prophet and as God. Jesus is the living word. Whenever you hear us talking about the living word, that's Jesus. When we talk about the written word, that is scripture. And both sing in harmony to who this God is and explaining who this God is. So the first part of Jesus, if you really want to understand Jesus and his identity, that little baby in the manger, he came to be our ultimate prophet. He came to be our prophet. The truth-telling prophet. So I'm curious, don't raise your hands, but I'm curious how many of us this morning actually understand that Jesus came to be our prophet, like the one who actually brings conviction, actually speaks into our lives and say, that's sin, that needs to stop. Like he's pointing out and he's saying some confrontational, very hard things. I think that's the reason why a lot of people don't like Jesus. Because today, those three offices that he came to fulfill, they're still going on today. He's still our prophet. He's still our priest and he's still our king. But I think that's one reason why so many people don't like Jesus. Because there's this prophet side of Jesus. That when you start studying his word, it brings conviction. I was talking to a youth the other day, and they were, uh, he was struggling with a little bit of depression, and so we were talking about how to, how to deal with depression. And one thing I, I talked to him, I said, uh, you know, have you been reading your Bible? Because, you know, that's something that's usually inspiring. And uh, he said, yeah, but it's not working. I was like, okay. He's like, I'm not really feeling inspired by the Bible. And he's like, the, the more I read, the more I, I kind of get more depressed. And then light bulb, okay, hey, actually, that's not depression. What we're dealing with here is called conviction. It happens. When you read scripture and you're not being inspired, maybe you're being convicted. Because Jesus, part of his identity is a truth-telling prophet. When we have sin in our life and we open our word and say, Jesus, speak to me, some of that might be conviction. And it might be really hard to take. And it might be really painful to, to hear that conviction But that's part of who Jesus is. In addition to that he also comes as a loving as a humble as a merciful as a patient priest. Jesus is also the fulfillment of the second office in the Old Testament which is the priest. Now the priest in the Old Testament they were the mediators between the people and God. So People would come to the priest with their prayers, with their sacrifices. They would come to him with their hopes and their fears. And then the priest would then come into God's presence, the Holy of Holies, and he would offer it up to God as the perfect sacrifice. Now, if the priest was not cleansed for some reason in the the right way, he would be uh, struck dead. So it was pretty important that the priest would be cleansed. So all throughout, you know, throughout the Old Testament, we, we have the priests, and they're offering sacrifices to God for the people as this mediator, helping the people talk with God, and then God relating to the people, because the people did not have a sacrifice, and so they couldn't be with God because they weren't perfect. So when Jesus came, he came as our high priest to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies, I would love to go into this. There is a plethora of scripture that talks about Jesus being our high priest. We don't have time for that this morning. You're going to have to trust me a little bit on this one. Hebrews chapter 4 is an excellent passage to go to if you want to read about how Jesus is our high priest. I would highly recommend that. Paul says in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, Five he says, "For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, and it's the man, Christ Jesus." Jesus is our priest, and he's not just our priest, but he's also the sacrifice. He, he laid down his life as the payment for our sins. That's why Jesus needed flesh. Have you ever wondered why Jesus had to come as a baby? He needed flesh. He needed hands so they could be nailed to a cross. He needed a back so they could be whipped for our sins, taking our punishment. He needed a head so that thorns could come over it and crush and break in and make him bleed. He needed blood. He needed feet so he could carry the cross up the hill of Calvary. That's why Jesus came. And so at Christmas time, it's exciting, and we need to celebrate because our salvation, our hope, everything we have comes to, through Jesus who came as a baby. But at the same time, it's a bittersweet because you recognize that Jesus came as the sacrifice. And that little baby that's so cute in the manger is one day going to be mutilated and beaten and slaughtered for us because of our sin. Those of you who have had a a loved one who has loved Jesus, has been faithful to God all their life, and has passed on, you know this feeling of bittersweet. Where you're mourning inside because you're going to miss that person. It's so hard to see them go. But at the same time, you're rejoicing inside because you know this person who has died is finally receiving their reward for the way they live their life and with Jesus and they've never been happier in their life. So that's the kind of mixed feelings that I think we should get at Christmas time where like we're so excited Jesus has come. At the same heart, our heart kind of goes out because we realize this is our sacrifice. This is, this is the baby that's gonna be beaten and slaughtered for our sins. So Jesus came to fulfill being our priest. He came as the sacrifice also. When we think of priest, think of this. Think of compassionate, Think of serving you. Think of kind-hearted, patient, a friend. So a prophet says to you, this is what you must do. And then the priest says, here, let me help you do it. Let me, let me enable you to do that. Let me walk beside you. Most other gods, even though they're all fake and not real out there, but most other gods would have more of a prophet mentality of just, you need to do this. But the unique thing about our God about Jesus, as he says, you need to do this. And then he steps down off his throne and did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but makes himself a servant. Coming and serving and walking beside us, saying, yeah, you need to do that, but I'm gonna enable you. You can obtain righteousness because I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna walk beside you. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. The unique thing about Jesus being our priest is he can sympathize with us. He's been through it all. He knows when you're at your darkest moment, Jesus has been there. He's been through every temptation. He walked on the earth, experienced everything. When you're, when you're, uh, you, when you're betrayed, you're backstabbed, Jesus, Jesus experienced that to the fullest. When you lose someone that you love, Jesus knows what that's like. When you're tempted, it's so hard not to do the temptation. And you're struggling, you want to do what's right, but it's so hard. Jesus understands that. And that's why he's here to help you. That's Jesus. That's our priest. The third ministry slash office that Jesus came to fulfill is King. To reign over our lives. When we say, Lord, this is what we're referring to. When we call Jesus Lord, and our worship song is saying, Lord, this, Lord, that, we're referring to him as Jesus as our king, as the king of kings. Jesus had this conversation with Pilate before he was crucified. Pilate was talking, or was asking Jesus questions, and this is one of Jesus' answers. This is John chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from here. So Pilate asked, Jesus, uh, Pilate said, therefore, um, are you king then? And Jesus answers, uh, you say rightly that I am king. Which, of course, Pilate, he's thinking, problem here. (laughs) You're you're king, I'm king, that's that's too many kings. Um, For this cause I was born, Jesus goes on to say, and for this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth Everyone who is of the truth hear my voice. For this cause I was born. That's what Jesus answered Pilate. For this cause I came to be the king. Jesus came as a king of kings um, to rule over everything, total authority, complete sovereignty. This means Jesus is king over our lives today. When we give, like, Jesus has um, reign over our lives. That means he has reign over everything uh, Our relationships, our credit cards, our internet browsers, our jobs, our family, every aspect of our life, Jesus is king because he has the jurisdiction. Like, he has been given the jurisdiction over everything. He has the right to reign over everything, to make commands. There's no such thing as personal life. Like, we're just say, well, this is my personal life. I mean, with Jesus, when we stand before the king, he's gonna judge us according to, according to his commands. We can't be like, well, Jesus, you can't go. That's my personal life. I mean, he has jurisdiction. He has the right. He has the ability, the jurisdiction to rule in every aspect of our life and to make commands and, and expect them to be obeyed. And with that kingship, he's from us, he's demanding Obedience and loyalty, and rightly so, because he is king. So, the identity of Jesus, to answer this question, who is Jesus? What's the identity of this little baby in a manger? The identity of Jesus is he came to be a prophet who speaks truth, our priest who serves, and our king. Who rules. As prophet he confronts us. Convicts us. And says some really hard things to us. As priest then he comes and he comforts us. And enables us to do the hard things. And to be righteous again. As king he commands us to recognize his authority. And to to keep us from sinning when we're in his reign. And to have the abundant life in his reign. The life that he desires for us. So that's the identity of Jesus. And why he came to earth. To be our prophet, priest, and king. So what does that mean for us today? Like, let's get real practical here. And most of you would, at this point in time would be shaking your head saying, I agree with you, Keith. Yeah, I agree with you, prophet, priest, king, makes sense. What's application here? I mean, what, so what do we do with that? we walk away just being smarter people? Our view of Jesus changes everything about our lives Therefore, if we have an inaccurate perception of who Jesus is, we are bound to have lives that are really messed up and not what Jesus desired, not what God desired. Let me explain. We, we can't have this vibrant, healthy relationship with Jesus, which we all want to as followers of Jesus. We're like, we want to we have a vibrant relationship with Jesus if we don't understand how Jesus comes to us. Like the way he presents himself to us. The three offices you know, in ministries that he comes to us. There are times when Jesus is gonna to come to you as a prophet, convicting of sin, boldly declaring your need for repentance. There are also times that he's gonna to come to you as a priest, loving you, comforting you, walking beside you, helping you become an overcomer, showing patience. And then it seems like this priest and this uh, prophet thing swings back and forth where Jesus comes and says, Keith, you need to work on this area of your life. You got some major issues here. and Oh, it's so embarrassing. You're right, Jesus, I do. I, I need to work on that. All right. Oh, I need to get better. And then the priest's side of Jesus comes. He's like, You know what? You can't do it on your own, though. <laughs> You're helpless on your own. Let me walk beside you. I'll help you. I'll give you grace and patience, and we'll work on this together. I'm going to enable you. And plus, my, my sacrifice is already sacrificed for that sin. So we just need to get to overcome that and not do that and sin no more, okay? And then, and then by the time I'm like, okay, good, got rid of that sin, now I'm a righteous man. You know, the prophet Jesus comes again, and he's like, uh, there's a, some areas over here you gotta work on. I'm like, oh, are you serious? Okay, here we go. Back over to the to the prophesy. and then Jesus as a priest comes to me and says, hey, but let me, let me walk beside you, let me help you. And this process is swinging back and forth, which is, by the way, called the Christian life. I hope you're living it, because it's really awesome. Um, we start understanding Jesus as king. Like, and we're, our areas of our life are actually falling under Jesus' jurisdiction, where he's actually reigning. And we're listening and saying, oh, this is what you want, Jesus? Sure, I'll do this. Oh, you want me to treat my enemies like this? I'll treat my enemies like this. Oh, you want me to, 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 not, to not, you know, treat my brothers and sisters like this? Oh, I won't treat my brothers and sisters like that. You want me to work this way in my job? Oh, with this kind of integrity? Yeah, sure, you're, you're king. If you want that, I'll give it to you. And so, they all three work together. And I'm saying this because I'm sure that we all have strengths and weaknesses of our understanding of Jesus. I wonder, don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you really get that Jesus is our prophet. Really understand that aspect of Jesus. Have you experienced Jesus in that way? He was telling you, bring conviction. He's telling you, don't do this. You need to repent. This is what needs to happen. I wonder how many of you really understand Jesus as your priest. The one who's serving you, strengthening you, comforting you, walking beside you, caring for you. I wonder how many in this room would say, like, I get that. I get it. I've experienced that part of Jesus. And I wonder how many of you would would understand Jesus as king, that one that rules everything, has the right to say no and yes to certain things, has the right to make uh, rules and commands and authority. I wonder how many of us here would actually get that and be like, yeah, I get that Jesus is king. That makes sense to me. I've I've experienced Jesus as king. The problem is when we don't understand Jesus, all these three offices and ministries, we have an incomplete, incomplete, diminished view of Jesus, which leads to problems in our Christian life and how we live. Let me go on to explain further. If you see Jesus as king, and if you see Jesus as prophet, but not priest, how is Jesus gonna look to you? I'll tell you. If you see Jesus as king and prophet, but you miss the pre-side of Jesus, Jesus is going to be this guy on a throne shouting commands at you. And to you, Jesus is going to seem harsh. He's going to seem cruel. He's going to seem um, someone who is just putting a lot of pressure on you. In the process, you're going to have two options. You're going to either become hopeless. <laughs> you're like, I can't do this. Or you're going to become arrogant, where you think, oh, look, you know I'm obeying God. He's this big guy up on the throne shouting stuff at me. Look, I'm following God. But none of those lead to worship. And and none of them lead to godly living and joy. But you add Jesus as a priest in there, you realize that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength through our high priest. You start to realize that the hopelessness fades away because you start to realize I don't have to have it together. Like the priest already paid for my sin. He's going to help me. He's going to enable me to be righteous in this area. And you're not going to have arrogance because you're going to realize that, wait, the only reason I can actually obtain righteousness is because of the priest. And so I can't be arrogant of myself and say, look how good I am. Or, look how, you know, I'm a goody 2 Look at all the commands I obey. Because you realize it's only because of Jesus that you can actually obey those commands anyways as our priest. If if you see Jesus as prophet and priest, but not king, there's going to be some serious problems that happen. What's going to happen is, well, and, and actually, this is probably the most accurate with working with evangelical Christians, which this is where we'd be classified evangelical Christians. Our church would fall into this category. I think often our problem with our view of Jesus is that we we see him as prophet. We see him as priests, but not as kings. So we, we believe in sin, we believe that God points out our sin, and we believe that God loves us and helps us, helps us to overcome the sin, but he doesn't necessarily rule in every area of our life. You know, our, our, it tends to be, our, our stance tends to be more like, I'll follow Jesus, and, but I still need to make my own choices. So what happens is there's a lot of ways that we don't look any different from the world. When we believe in sin, and we believe that God has helped us overcome sin, but our divorce rate's the same, the way we dress modestly is the same. The, the way we, we interact with our authority is the same. The Integrity at work is the same. Like this, it's, Jesus really isn't king over our lives. It's not his kingdom ruling. It's still our kingdom, but he helps us with sin. And I think that's the danger of being an evangelical Christian is we get Jesus as prophet, we get Jesus as priest, but we often don't get him as king. And so we almost have this idea where Jesus is here to help me when I need him. So I live my life, and when I need Jesus, well, I go to him. And I, I ask for his help, and he comes helps me, and that's good, and, and everything. And then I go on living when I need him again, he comes help me, which leads to hypocrisy in a very distorted life because Jesus isn't king. And as evangelical Christians, we have to be careful. That doesn't fall into our laps of hypocrisy where we're allowing Jesus to forgive our sins and point out our sins, but yeah, he's not really ruling our lives. We're still calling the shots. We do what we want to do when we want to do it. All right, let's go to the third possibility here. Um, If you only see Jesus as king and priest, but you miss the prophet side of Jesus, this leads to a very very liberal Christianity where Jesus is in charge, he's king, and he loves me, he's priest, but he would never point out personal sin. I mean, that's offensive. Jesus wouldn't want to offend anybody. Why would Jesus offend anybody? Jesus is a kind-hearted man that would not offend anybody. Which, if anyone ever said that to me, I'd be like, the fact that the crowds are yelling, crucify him, crucify him, probably many probably ticked somebody off and offended somebody. Because it's just not true. Jesus sometimes uses words as a prophet that hurt and that sting. and make us feel convicted, make us feel small. And that understanding of Jesus, where he's king and priest but not prophet, that understanding of Jesus leads to a toleration of sin and not repentance. To really know Jesus, we need to understand that he came to earth to be our prophet who speaks, our priest who serves, king who rules, and we can't leave any of those three out. He came to fulfill the Old Testament so that we may know him. This Christmas season, my prayer is that you will understand Jesus and who he is. So ask yourself. Sometime today, sometime this week, ask yourself. Jesus, what part of you am I not understanding? What part of you am I not getting? Where is my view of you diminished or incomplete? Or even wrong? And then read scripture. Read the Old Testament. See, see all these prophets and priests and these kings, and how they foreshadowed Jesus. And when Jesus came, observe the way he talked to people, relayed to people. And you'll see this incredible Jesus that changes everything. You'll love him like you've never, be, you've never loved him before. You're going to run to him and instead of our classic run away from him when we need him the most. You're going to be running to him because you understand who he is. You see him for who he is. You'll find so much pleasure in him, in him. He is so fulfilling. My challenge this morning is as we look at the baby in the manger, remember the identity of that baby as your prophet, as your priest, and as your king. Let's pray. Father, I'm just in awe right now of you and how amazing you are. That you would come to us as our prophet and would speak truth into our lives and convict us so that we would know the truth. That you would not just do that, but you would come as a priest and you would love us and enable us and die for us and walk beside us and be our mediator, our our intercessor between us and God. God, thank you so much for coming as king and for ruling and reigning. Father, I pray that this morning that we would understand that you as a prophet, priest, and king Help us not to miss you in this Christmas season. I know there's a lot of stuff out there that distracts from you, Father, but I pray that somehow in the midst of all those distractions, you would open our eyes and help us to focus on you. That we would celebrate you and worship you the way that you long to be celebrated and worshipped. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.